0: Numbers are just symbols. They're these things that we invented to help us talk to each other about quantity. And then they did something kind of cool. They evolved to help us describe other things, things like the fundamental laws that govern life in the universe. But somewhere in this transformation, some of these numbers took on qualities or values of the world that they helped describe. They became value-laden.
1: 488. That was my number. No names. And the came. you have no names, just a number. And there you go by your number. Roll well calls, you have the number, that's it.
2: I have very clear memories of this uh, possible period, but I saw two symbols of the Holocaust very early on. I saw a yellow star and I saw the tattoo of my aunt who was deported to Auschwitz and she survived.
0: This is a story from one of the darkest eras in human history and the number, the symbol that's come to represent it. And it's brought to us by producer Sarah Mashman.
3: After the Nazis seized power in 1933, they created camps to detain opponents to their regime, those they deemed a threat or simply unacceptable. At a conference in Wannsee in 1942, the Nazis came up with the so-called final solution to the Jewish question, wholesale murder on an industrial scale, monitored and organized by a bureaucratic system. Purpose-built complexes such as Treblinka, Sobibor and Auschwitz-Birkenau. From early 1942 until the end of 1944, an estimated 1.3 million men, women and children from all over Europe were packed into freight trains bound for Auschwitz. Olga Horak was 14 when she was deported from Slovakia with her parents. We arrived in
4: Auschwitz after having been for two and a half days in the transport, in the closed-in carriage. And by the time we arrived there, some people suffocated. When it stopped, the transport with the human cargo, they unbolted the doors. And what we saw was, we couldn't believe it, they were high-ranking SS officers waiting with dogs. And they just shoved us out. The stench of the burning bodies lingered in the air for 24 hours around the clock. The mist was hanging below the blue sky, if they had any.
3: On arrival at the camps, they were separated into two groups. Men on one side, women on the other.
4: That's when selection started. Now, he looked us up and down. If they were mothers with children, they were shown to form a group on the side. If there were elderly people not looking as pink-cheeked, they were shown to the left. They were taken to the gas chambers and were murdered soon after. You know, it's a place where the sun never shone. Birds never sang.
3: Those sent to the right for labor went through a process designed to strip them of their identity. Their hair was shaved off, they had numbers issued on bits of fabric, and then they were tattooed. One of the enduring symbols of the Holocaust is the small blue-green series of numbers carved into forearms. But not all survivors have tattoos. In fact, of the thousands of camps and subcamps, only one, Auschwitz, used tattoos and you only got a tattoo if you survived the first selection. Those sent to the gas chambers weren't assigned a number.
2: In 41, the tattooing started in Auschwitz with Russian prisoners of war.
3: Konrad Quiet is a historian with the Sydney Jewish Museum. He's a German Jewish child survivor of the Holocaust.
2: They were perishing en masse What was happening that immediately their their garment was taken away, but the SS authorities had problems in identifying who has perished. So they had to tattoo the Russian prisoner of war to know then whom they have to leave from their records. It continued with the new arrivals. When it started, they used a kind of metal stamp with numbers and then they punched it on the arm. Then they introduced a pen with one needle that was also not very effective. And at the end, they introduced a two-needle pen.
3: But before the tattooing, there were the serial numbers. These were first introduced in 1940 when Auschwitz was still being built. This sequence started at one and only finished with the last assignment in January 1945. Number 202,499. A new sequence was introduced for female prisoners in March 1942. Then as more prisoners arrived from other parts of Europe, more sequences were added. The Nazis didn't want the number sequences getting too high. When Roma prisoners were registered in Auschwitz, the letter Z was added at the beginning.
0: These are some astonishingly high numbers, like hundreds of thousands of people. And that's the thing, right? These are people, which strikes me two ways. First, of course, it's just the real punch-in-the-guts reminder of the human cost of the Nazi concentration camps. But also, these are so many numbers organising that many people. It's just a huge amount of bureaucracy to deal with as well.
3: And that was just the one camp. Conrad has a story about that.
0: I had later in my years, when I was in America,
2: also the rare occasion of meeting a survivor of Auschwitz.
3: Helena Zippy Tischauer. Zippy was a gifted commercial artist. She spoke three languages fluently, including German, and had a head for numbers.
2: She became known as Zippy from the registry office. She was one of the first women deported from Slovakia to Auschwitz in March.
3: After a short period in a harsh labour group, she became an official working in the registration office.
2: And she was in charge of registering the new arrivals, of designing the insignia, and she used her skills to become almost irreplaceable in that system of chaos and order.
3: She brought order to the chaos.
2: The registration, in other words, the, the allocation of numbers was a system of all concentration camps and of prisoners. There is no detention facility where you don't have a number. The number is important to register and to process yeah, the behavior of food allocation. zippy was the last one on a huge table in the reception center. And the system was normally they arrived. They had the list, name, date of birth, job, and she was the last one who handed over the insignia, Jew or non-Jew, and they had different colours, plus the piece of linen on which she printed or punched the registration number in.
3: These numbers were then filed into an index to keep track of the prisoners and to allocate food.
2: She was working in the registry office looking after card indexes because the number became then not only the name, but how the thousands of forced laborers or inmates of Birkenau in, in the women's camp were processed. And this is where later ABM comes in because they introduced the Hollerith system, a punch card system.
0: Wait, did he say IBM, as in the computer company IBM?
3: IBM was in high demand back then. The company had developed a system that could speed up the census process. It could tabulate census data by using a sort of punch card. Data such as profession, location and age could be entered, organised and quickly retrieved, like an early computer.
0: And so how did the US company IBM end up in Nazi Germany?
3: The IBM system was used for a German census carried out after Hitler rose to power. The census included religion, nationality, profession, the city you lived in. This data was then used to categorise and find people.
2: And then at the rate of 24,000 cards per hour, like that, suddenly... They knew the identification and location of all the Jews in Berlin who were doctors.
3: Edwin Black is the author of IBM and the Holocaust. As war overtook Europe, the Nazis continued to use IBM's Hollerith system via a German subsidiary, Deutsche Hollerith Maschinen Gesellschaft. As they occupied a nation, the Hollerith system went with them. It was also used in the rail and concentration
2: camp systems. Eventually, they set up a train system that would send the Jews efficiently to Auschwitz. We're talking about the wartime period now. There was an IBM customer site in virtually every concentration camp. Kind of ancient predecessor of the computer system, yeah? And there are many cards of inmates where you have today a stamp saying, Holorit erfasst. Registered by Hollerith. Every prisoner in Nazi Europe had a prisoner card. What the Germans wanted was to do this in an organised fashion, and they had to base their organisation on the existing technology.
3: IBM has admitted that the machines were in use during the war. However, they say that like hundreds of foreign-owned companies doing business in Germany at that time, their subsidiary came under the control of Nazi authorities.
2: The name, the number, the skilled worker could be called up if they were looking yeah, for special skilled workers required for all sorts of functions within the camp system or with industrial enterprises around. These numbers were absolutely important then for replacing details.
3: There were two sets of numbers, the IBM or Hollerith Prisoner number and an internal camp number and it was the internal camp number that was tattooed.
2: If you look to the various tattoos among survivors, they all differ.
3: The tattoos were all different, and that's because the was changed. And here the story is taken up by another survivor of the camps.
1: My name is Jack Meister. Actually, it's not my real name, it's Capell Meister. I cut out Kapell, I left Meister...
3: Kapel became Jack when he moved to Australia. He was born in Poland.
1: In the town, Kielce. I went to Jewish school and I was so happy. But when the Germans occupied Poland, I lost my childhood.
3: Jack was born in 1928. He was only a child when he was taken to his first camp.
1: I went to camp to camp.
3: The first camp was Kielce, then Radom. Then.
1: That transports you out. That was the hardest part. You travel in open cattle trucks, and you realize you're looking after you say, "Oh, the snow coming down on you." It was a long journey, and we arrived in Auschwitz. And I was lucky I've sorted out to go to work. As you sort out, the first thing they shave you.
3: All your hair, all of it. Then?
1: They give you a number. And this your register number.
3: Then the tattoo. Do you remember who gave it to you? The
1: inmates. They're standing around like a a table. And you go, stay in a row. and. Everybody tattoo you, not the German.
3: Armed guards stood watch nearby. And do you know your number?
1: 488. That was my number. No names. And they came, you have no names, just a number. And there you go by your number. Bow calls you have the number, that's it.
3: So a team of inmates did the tattooing.
2: And you have of course the chief tattooist?
3: Lolly Sokolov, a Jewish man from Bratislava, who was sent to Auschwitz in March 1942.
2: He was quite experienced, but you have later also assistants. And at the end, I think from 43, 44 onwards, you had uh, women doing the job and they were not quite that good as the chief tattooist.
3: Loli Sokolov wasn't always the chief tattooist. In fact, it was a position he lucked into, like really lucked into. He should have
5: died. he got typhoid and was thrown on the death cart. As the SS went into the block next door to get the dead and dying out of there, one of the men in his block started to take him off the death cart. And at that time, a stranger walking past saw this and went and helped. Heather Morris is the author of The Tattooist of Auschwitz. She recorded Lolly's story. Eight days later, that stranger came and assisted Lolly outside into the sun. He said, My name is Pepan. I am the Tetavera.
3: He offered Lolly the job as an assistant.
5: He told him that he thought that if he went back working hard labour like he had been, that he wouldn't survive. He was so weak still. And so reluctantly, Lolly agreed.
1: And the guy tells me who did the numbers, he did my number, matter of fact. You know what? Maybe I will save your life. What? I will teach you to do the numbers, oh.
5: Numbering, he called it, not tattooing. I was looking how he doing it, and
1: I started to help him.
5: One thing, to be numbering men, and he found a row of girls standing in front of him, and then he tried to pull out of it. Papa and the wise papan said, that's okay, you don't want to do it, off you go. But somebody else will. He never looked at the people that he was numbering. Never raised his head, took the paper, made the numbers, move on. And that was his way of rationalizing and not humanizing exactly what it was he was doing and who it, he was doing it to. About four weeks later came a
1: telegram from Berlin that sent that guy, Tettowire, to Berlin. Pepin, right. And who took six over? Lally, Lally the Tettowire. <laughs> That's what they called me.
3: Lolly kept his head down and was so focused on just getting the job done that he didn't even realise when someone he knew presented their forearm to get tattooed. And so she actually recognised him first. And then he then recognised who she was. Lottie Weiss.
5: You see, I was the 2065th
6: prisoner. We arrived on 28th of March and we were first registered our... Name, our date of birth, where we were born, our profession, our religion, and each girl got a number. The man who tattooed us was a young man. There were two young men. And the one who did me, I knew from Bratislava.
3: Lottie had been a regular visitor to the shop Lolly had worked at in Bratislava. So when I passed the shop, I always
6: went in and that man was working there and I only knew him from saying hello. And when he recognised me, he looked at me and he said, have you seen my cousin? I said, I don't know your cousin. See, he wasn't allowed to speak because the SS man was behind him with his submachine gun. So he only whispered. But in that, he made my number twice as large as the others because he still wanted to talk to me. His name
2: was Lali Sokolov. As we know, some 400,000 numbers, tattoos, were given by August, September 44, the tattooing stopped. Because most of those who were then selected for slave labor were sent after a short period in a a transit camp in Auschwitz for forced labor in Germany. And the industrialists who had to pay for the hiring slave laborers didn't want to have their slaves tattooed because they were also non-Jews working in that. So they said, We don't want tattooed slave labour, so that was the end of it.
0: Four years, 400,000 tattoos, and then suddenly, it just stopped. But
3: it started again. Beyond being a way for the Nazis to keep track of how much food was needed or who had been murdered, the tattoos were a humiliation, a trauma. Tattoos are considered by some in the Jewish community as violating Jewish law. However, as the numbers of survivors diminish, some family members are creating living memorials.
7: 4559
3: five, Oded Ravak lives in Ottawa. His mum, Livia, was 14 when she was deported. Oded grew up seeing Livia's tattoo.
7: As a child, I knew that there was something going on I knew even though she and my dad gave my sister and I love and laughter there was always a kind of an underlying um, sadness and I couldn't quite figure it out but I did know and did realise her number on her arm and of course started asking questions
3: Livia's story starts like so many others affected by the Holocaust a normal life disrupted by persecution. And in
7: 1942, everything was taken away and she was taken in cattle carts to hell on earth, Auschwitz-Birkenau.
3: Decades later, Livia Oded and other family members returned to the camp together.
7: We went on a trip to Auschwitz-Birkenau and in Birkenau we stood by the electrical fence and beyond that fence, were fields, agriculture fields, and my mom was looking at it and I think this was the point, like with the number and something that she couldn't process is that there's this line where you have the fence, you just pass one centimeter of this line, she saw farmers and she saw kids playing in the field, blue skies, and if you're on this side of the fence, There's death and just chaos and misery. But I think this image of her standing by the fence with the number, subhuman. And on that other side of the fence, there's life. And on this side of the fence, there's death.
3: This experience was so powerful that Odette made a choice that some people see as controversial
7: the decision to tattoo my mom's number on my arm was a several year uh, decision our trip really uh, sealed the decision for me i couldn't think of one one thing that i should do in order to remember what happened to those whole communities through europe is to tattoo my mom's number on my arm to represent how another group of humans can do such a thing to another fellow human, just because of the religion.
3: Oded was tattooed in Israel. He didn't tell his parents straight away. He decided to surprise them.
7: Just to be on the safe side, I got a gorgeous bouquet of flowers. I told them to sit down and I told them, and I was in tears. My mom and dad were in tears. And the first reaction is that my mom thought that something is wrong with me. She just couldn't get over the fact that I would do something like that, that really represents the change for her from human to an animal that's branded. And I tried to defend and explain that I wanted to feel closeness to her.
3: Reactions have been mixed.
7: I had people stop me, some in the street, in some social circles. They were wondering what the number is and told them that my mom survived Auschwitz and Birkenau. And to honor her and others, I tattooed my arm with the same number. Some did not know what happened in Auschwitz-Birkenau. Other knew and told me that some of their family members were part of the army units that liberated survivors from the camps.
3: Oded was invited by the Huffington Post to join an online discussion to talk about his choice to be tattooed with the number.
7: And I was surprised about the answers and the discussion. Some people were arguing that it was done as a fashion statement. And, you know, there was a rabbi on the panel who said that if you're in the Jewish faith, you're not supposed to do a tattoo. To me, it's not about faith. It's uh, what I felt is the right thing to do, to honour my mum and other family members that I lost and, and, and never met.
3: Odette's decision to get Livia's number tattooed was a complex choice, one of intergenerational trauma and tribute. For Livia, for Jack, Lolly, Lottie and Zippy and over 400,000 others, there was no choice.
2: It was for almost all of them one of the most shocking experiences. But the tattoo was traumatic because it meant more or less that they were now stigmatised with a number and the number, as many survivors maintained, replaced their name. Yeah?
3: And the decisions that the survivors made about those numbers post-war were varied.
2: Some removed it. They went to a doctor and surgical operation, it was gone and what's left is a scar. Others said, I've used it for my pin number. I know a case where it became the the favorite numbers for horse bedding.
3: Thanks to the Sydney Jewish Museum, curator Conrad Quiet and head of education Rebecca Kummerfeldt for the full stories of all the survivors you can find out more at sydneyjewishmuseum.com.au or the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum
0: those links and more can be found on the Sum of All Parts website which is abc.net.au forward slash soap and thank you Sarah Mashman for that story
4: And I often ask myself, even today, why me? Why have I survived? Why? It's difficult.